So can you give me an idea of like a typical day? Well, I usually wake up at nine. I hit the gym and then go to work from 10 to like eight, nine, 10, depending on the number of patients we have. Ayman manages a pharmacy in Iraq, and we're only going to use his first name to protect his identity for reasons that will become clear in a moment. You look young to be a pharmacist. I'm almost 30. Oh, <laughs> that's I'm young. not young yet. <laughs> he looks to be 10 years younger than that, with an easy smile and a neatly trimmed beard. Ayman says he ended up as a pharmacist because he did well in school. I'm actually the first pharmacist in my family. And and do you love it? I kind of do. It's good. Not challenging or like you get like something new every day, but it's good. You know, it's a stable job. Like you get a lot of free time during the work. And during that free time, he does what a lot of people do. He starts scrolling. And so do you spend a lot of time on social media? I kind of do. I guess I do. And Iman's favorite platform is Twitter. I don't, I don't like, like the Instagram and like the whole Mark Zuckerberg thing. I'm not into that. So he settled for Elon Musk. And during his breaks at work, he picks up his phone and just starts typing whatever comes to mind, even if it might get him in trouble. Well, I actually tweet a lot of controversial things that doesn't go with the status quo, really progressive ideas. Give me some examples. What do you mean? Let's say right now in Ramadan, you can get arrested if you eat during the fasting hours. So I go on Twitter and say that's the dumbest thing ever. People can eat and cannot eat whenever they like. You should not be arrested for not practicing a religious act. And a lot of people took offense to that. Which, if you're living in Iraq right now, could be a problem. Because the Iraqi government has launched a new app called Balugh. Balugh. It means to report or to inform. Report or inform. Although snitch is a more accurate description. And the idea is to make reporting things to the government easy. Open the app. There's a field to paste links to indecent content. And then all you have to do is hit send. You can do it with your name attached. You can do it anonymously. The problem is, indecent content is a pretty squishy term. The government loosely defines it as any posts or videos that seem to fly in the face of Iraq's moral values and traditions. But those aren't really listed. You can also report anything that seems to be an affront to, and I'm quoting here, the general taste. General taste. No idea what that means. It's so vague and, like, doesn't have any meaning. Also... What is indecent content and to who is it is indecent? Those are the questions that we should ask, right? I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. Today, we go to Iraq, where the government in Baghdad has launched an online campaign to rid the internet of what they call indecent content. And they're doing that by tracking down and arresting the people who are creating it. And Iraq isn't alone. Across the Middle East, authoritarian governments are trying their hand at a new, very effective digital campaign. And it involves crowdsourcing morality. 
It's just a ticket for authorities to police and monitor what people are saying and doing online. These new apps have not only provided an avenue for people to settle personal vendettas, but it's allowing governments to muzzle dissent too. So they can just go and arrest whoever is disagreeing with them. Stay with us. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Okay, so let me tell you how it started. Do you know the Arabian Gulf Cup? The 25th Arabian Gulf Cup. Think World Cup soccer, but regional. Iraq hosted it back in January. And the fact that the Arabian Gulf Cup inspired the app shows just how arbitrary the idea of indecent content can be. And why it's so hard to predict what could get you in trouble. Hundreds of thousands of people showed up for the soccer matches. Iman says there were so many people that even fans who bought tickets ahead of time couldn't get into the stadium. That is, with one notable exception. What happened then was a couple of uh, social media influencers, uh, or what they call fashionistas, they were able to get VIP seats on almost all the games. Fashionistas, influencers... According to Ayman, just seeing them on social media, sitting there in VIP boxes at the game, drove people crazy. They had clearly used connections to get inside, and they were rubbing everyone's nose in it. So that's what sparked the hashtag, uh, or what they call cancel indecent content. Somehow that became indecent content in the Iraqi Twitter sphere. Is it because they're really after indecent content or do they feel like these fashionistas or influencers have too much power? I think that's how it started. But the government also find a good way to like implement such a law that gives them so much power of whatever is being published on the Internet. Within days, Iraq's Ministry of the Interior said it would form a committee and then make it easy for Iraqis to report to authorities anything they found offensive on social media. And they did that by creating an app. Balay, report. This is a Facebook video from the Ministry of Interior announcing the app. And it makes clear just how easy it is to report offending social media posts to the authorities. That menacing music is the soundtrack to the ministry's reel of horribles. 
the kinds of things it says Iraqis should feel free to tell them about. But their definition of this so-called indecent content, well, it might be a little different than what you have in mind. In their video montage of indecency, you see a guy in a mummy costume giving the camera a thumbs up. Various people are dancing. And then there's a close-up of a woman wearing a baseball cap, eyeshadow, and big hoop earrings. There was a whole conversation on Twitter about it. A lot of people didn't really see how bad it was at first because they were really focused on those quote-unquote fashionistas and like those people who rose to power because of their relationships with the government officials and they were getting a lot of preferential treatment. So they were really focusing on getting these people off their platforms. As he saw it, ordinary Iraqis didn't stop to think about the longer-term ramifications. What happens when this app goes beyond a way to complain about annoying rich people and then morphs into a state-run app the government can use to silence speech it doesn't like? The app raises a larger issue that has cast a shadow over Iraq more generally. While the country enshrined democratic ideals in its constitution almost 20 years ago, it hasn't quite left its authoritarian past behind. So to be honest, all of us as Iraqis, um, sometimes if we feel that we are uh, trapped in this system, we don't know whether we are indemocratic or authoritarian. This is Ali al-Bayati. He used to be a member of the Iraqi High Commission for Human Rights. And he says nowhere is that tension more apparent than in the debate over what can or can't be said in Iraq. We don't know whether we need to stay silent because speaking out is useless or we need to do that because it is our system, our country, and it is part of the constitution. But Ali sees echoes of the past in this new app. When Saddam Hussein or Ba'ath regime was ruling Iraq and before 2003, that um, I can remember the advice of our uh, parents in, in our house, and it was, uh, be careful sometimes the door can hear you or listen to you when you are talking. And the door can especially hear you when you're posting on social media. Ali worries that, instead of the government agents he saw as a child physically tracking down critics of Saddam's bath regime, now the government has something much more powerful and pervasive. It has turned everyone into a possible agent of the government, and all they have to do is click. Repeating again the same copy of bath regime, but in a different way. So while Balakh may be new, the function it's serving is not. Although many Iraqis dismiss Ali's concern as overblown, and they've actually embraced the app. A lot of our parents and a lot of the old demographic of Iraq, they grew up in war-torn times. A lot of old Iraqis really gravitate towards authoritarian systems. Because it makes them feel more comfortable? Exactly. It makes them feel more comfortable because they're really familiar with it through the whole Saddam Hussein area. In fact, Ayman says, when the ministry launched the app, even his dad thought it was okay. Me and my dad had a real long conversation about this, and we came to an agreement. He wasn't, like, he was kind of for it at the beginning, but after we talked, 
he kind of changed his mind because I pointed out some things to him that he probably didn't like see or, you know. We asked Iraq's Ministry of Interior how many reports had been posted on Bilal since it was introduced in January, and they told us 144,000. So lots of people appear to be using it. When we come back, we hear from the Ministry of Interior about how they came to be in the app business in the first place and who they seem to be targeting. I mean, essentially, you are turning citizens into police officers, right? Stay with us. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. When we spoke to Ayman, he had prepared a list of 12 influencers who had been arrested since the Report app launched in February. Uh, let me tell you about two. One of them called Hassan Ashimari. He was arrested for playing a woman in his TikTok skits. So that was his crime, I guess. He was playing a woman. Ayman said El Shamri lives in southern Iraq, which happens to be fairly religious. They think women should not go on TV. So he had to make do because he needed a female character. So he dressed like one. And they arrested him because of that. (gasps) Or consider the case of Asal Hassan, someone who had a huge following on TikTok. She was sentenced to two years because uh, she was dressing provocatively or something. She showed a little bit of skin in her TikToks. And she was sentenced for two years. Do you know Aboud uh, Skiba? Yes, I do. Aboud Skiba is the next one on the list. Aboud Skiba is a construction worker with a kind of unusual talent. He basically is a guy who perfected the English accent without ever speaking a coherent sentence or a word. He speaks gibberish, essentially. We home, I love you, we home, I love you, we home. He presented them on TikTok. I'm kind of funny, you know. So funny that he's got himself some 600,000 TikTok followers, which may be why just hours after the report app launched, he was told that people were complaining about it and that the government had issued a warrant for his arrest. Uh, Q, uh, uh, Abud, uh, what do you think about what happened to you? Here he is talking about what happened next on the Al-Bashir show. It's the region's answer to The Daily Show. He said he turned himself in, but it turns out if you have hundreds of thousands of TikTok followers, your arrest gets noticed, which may be why he wasn't held very long. He went before a judge and was released in a day and a half. Others haven't been so lucky. So 
Why would that be flagged as indecent? I guess some people find it not funny. Here's Ayman again. So you could be reported for just being annoying. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. You can be reported for just being annoying online. And I think it was kept vague for a reason. So they can, like, arrest people and, like, play within the lines of the law. We reached out to Iraq's Ministry of Interior to see if they'd be willing to clarify. And to our surprise, they shared a lot of information we hadn't seen publicly before. They put us in touch with the IT administrator in charge of the app. His name is Ayad Radi. And while he wouldn't go on tape, he did answer a lot of our questions in writing. For example, he said the app was built by a team of coders from the Ministries of Interior and Communications. And they've built algorithms that group various reports together. And then a committee reviews and processes them. And then moves them up to the next level if they have incriminating evidence. He cited a justification for the app that sounded familiar. Something you often hear from governments that institute these kinds of vaguely shaped crackdowns. He said that lots of people are reporting affronts to what the government says are family values. People are reporting their neighbors, he added, simply because they are, quote, fighting tooth and nail for their families. It's not just the vagueness of these justifications that's worrisome. Marwa Fatafta, who works with the digital advocacy group Access Now, told us she's doubly worried because of who specifically manages the app. In a country like Iraq, and as, as soon as the Ministry of Interior gets involved in regulating people's speech and deciding what and what is not allowed to be said and done online, you know that freedom of expression is in big trouble. That's because the Ministry of Interior is also the government body that oversees policing in Iraq. And under Saddam Hussein, one of the Ministry of Interior's responsibilities was finding and silencing his critics. After the Iraq War, other military and intelligence agencies were dissolved. The Ministry of Interior was not. So, you know, when the Ministry of Interior rolls out this type of platform, um, asking people to snitch, it's not a sustainable situation, especially for human rights defenders and journalists. Given its, you know, its very vague and elastic nature, it, for me, it's almost like you're telling Iraqis to walk between uh, the raindrops without getting wet. Like, good luck with that. At this point, the people who appear to be in the crosshairs the most are Iraq's comedians and satirists. They've been among the most popular targets of the Lech reports. Is there a reason for that? Lack of sense of humor? I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't dare to say publicly that Iraqis don't have a sense of humor. I think the government doesn't have a sense of humor, for sure. I don't think and Morrow says the app is only the half of it. In March, a draft of a new Iraqi cyber regulation leaked to the public. And had it gone into effect, it would have been another step away from the kind of freedom of speech currently protected in Iraq's constitution. It's pretty draconian and dangerous. I mean, the word prohibits in the text has been repeated 25 times, which... <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> all you need to know. Yeah, exactly. Even though that leaked document was just a draft, it seems like an attempt to codify what the app is doing, increasing the government's power to somewhat arbitrarily ban content and punish people. Even without this new regulation in effect, Iraqi authorities have already arrested 14 content creators based on just app reports alone. Do you think that's a high number? 
do you think that that's a number where they're kind of testing the waters as opposed to rounding up hundreds, for example? I think any number is a high number. It's about pre creating precedence. And the fact that they started this campaign in January, almost mid-January, and by March they've already had 14 people charged for their social media posts is an indication that they are, I mean, that the authorities are taking their job seriously. And Marwa is concerned that the government will only widen the net. Comedians and satirists and dancers today political dissidents and investigative journalists tomorrow, and then everyday people after that. She's already seen this happen around the region. Let's go to Saudi Arabia now, because a woman has been jailed after she posted on social media calling for reforms and the release of activists. This is the woman. The government in Saudi Arabia introduced its own app in 2016. They call it Kulona Am, which means we are all security. That Saudi woman reported by the app will spend 34 years in jail. And what was her crime? Her crime was just tweeting. So has your behavior changed at all as a result of this app? Well, no, I don't have a big following, so I don't really care. I'm like relying on the incompetence of the government so they can't find me. Got it. And and when people actually say to you, hey, I'm going to report you, what's your response? I just blocked them and moved on with my life. But before moving on with his life completely, Ayman did tweet out a thread about Balagh to try to get his friends and family to think twice about using it. So this is an Iraqi dialect, so it's not like proper Arabic. Just like, okay. You are bright and educated people. You can influence your friends and families. If you let the country or the government control your freedom of speech, this is the beginning of the end. Don't let the government tell you what to post and what not to post. Because you all know how easily can be weaponized and they can arrest anyone that disagrees with them, with any idea. And we go back to the dark ages where you can be jailed solely for your thoughts. That's it. It's very poetic. I am very poetic. Thank you very much. This is Click Here. Are some of the top cyber and intelligence headlines of the past week. FBI Director Christopher Wray revealed last week that even if the FBI's cyber unit and intel analysts spent all their time exclusively focused on China, the Middle Kingdom's hacker corps would still outnumber FBI cyber agents by 50 to 1. The FBI director revealed the startling number last week before the House Appropriations Subcommittee. He was making the case for some $63 million in additional cybercrime funding in next year's budget. He said it isn't just China in the crosshairs. He said Russia, Iran, and North Korea hackers are upping their game. And it's getting harder to figure out where the nation-state threats end 
and the cybercriminal threats begin. NSA Cybersecurity Director Rob Joyce said the National Security Agency expects generative AI programs like ChatGPT to breathe new life into phishing scams that rely on compelling content to trick victims into clicking and opening tainted files. Joyce said that the Russian native hacker who doesn't speak English well is no longer going to craft a crummy email and instead can use AI to make their lures more colloquial. He said the NSA has seen both nation-state and hardcore criminals experimenting with it. And while AI chatbots can't develop weaponized malware from scratch, Joyce told an audience at RSA last week that AI can be used to modify existing malware, which will help it make an end run around antivirus software. And finally, Wired Magazine reports that the Justice Department, Mandiant, and Microsoft had spotted the SolarWinds breach six months earlier than previously reported. They just didn't realize the significance of what they'd found. The breach by Russian hackers into the SolarWinds management software was made public in December 2020. But Wired said the breach was actually discovered by the DOJ six months earlier, in late May 2020. The department detected unusual traffic coming from one of its servers running a trial version of the Orion software suite, which is made by SolarWinds. But it didn't put two and two together. The SolarWinds breach is thought to have affected some 18,000 customers, including a handful of U.S. agencies. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and I'm the executive producer and host of the show. Sean Powers is our senior producer and marketing director, and Will Jarvis is our producer. Sarah Wyman is our writer-reporter. And this show was mastered by Gabriella Glitt. Our editing team is led by Karen Duffin and Lou Olkowski. Darren Ancrum does our fact-checking. And our theme and original music compositions are by Ben Levingston. We also use music from Blue Dot Sessions. And we'd love to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts, or send us an email at clickhere at recordedfuture.com. Check out our website with details about our shows and our whole show catalog at clickhereshow.com. That's a wrap for this week. I'm Dina Temple-Raston. We'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.